Well, my name is Adam. If we haven't met, I'm part of the team here at Oasis, and it is great to have you with us today. For the last two months, we have been on a journey through the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel like I could keep reading and keep reflecting on the Sermon on the Mount till the end of my life, and I would get to the end of my life, and I still wouldn't have a full handle on it. I'd still be learning and growing and being changed and challenged by it. Jesus' words are so deep, so profound, so revolutionary. And next week, we are getting to the end of the series, but my encouragement to you would be to keep reading the Sermon on the Mount, to keep allowing it to challenge you, and to come along next week. Because Jesus is going to confront us with the most important choice we could ever make. Will we walk on the wide road that leads to destruction or the narrow road which leads to life? Will we build on sand or on rock? So make sure you come next week. But before we get there, we have this final section uh, to explore and work through together. And today we come to one of Jesus' most famous statements. And I'm not talking about the golden rule in verse 12, where Jesus says, do to others what you would have them do to you. I'm talking about what Jesus says in verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. This is one of Jesus' most quoted, but least understood statements. There will be people that have never read the Bible but they can quote this verse to you word for word. Why? Well, it really captures the spirit of our age, doesn't it? Do not judge. It's going back a little while, but uh, Jim Morrison, the lead singer of The Doors, uh, the, the great rock band, he said this in his autobiography. He said, a friend is someone who gives you total freedom to be yourself. Whatever you happen to be feeling at any moment is fine with them. That's what real love amounts to, letting a person be what he really is. In other words, Jim is saying, if you love someone, you'll accept them for whoever they say that they are. You'll let them be whatever they want to be. And the worst thing you could do is to judge them. This is the air that we breathe. And this is why so many people resonate so deeply with, with Jesus' statement, do not judge. The only problem is that this is not all that Jesus had to say. He did not say, do not judge, full stop, end of the story. He went on to explain what he means. And he talked about logs and dogs and pigs and pearls. And so it's obvious that there is some depth to what Jesus is saying here. And if we want to follow Jesus faithfully, we need to understand all that he's saying to us. We can't just kind of pull this verse out in isolation. We need to, to read it in its proper context. So we're going to explore this important passage together under three headings. And we can see that there are three clear sections to this passage because each section begins with a clear command from Jesus. The first section, verses 1 to 5, Jesus says, Do not be judgmental. The second section, verse 6, Jesus says, do not be undiscerning. 
And then finally, in verses 7 to 12, Jesus says, always ask for help. So let's look at these three things together, and we'll spend the bulk of our time on the the first one, because this is where Jesus seems to spend most of his time. First thing he says to us is, don't be judgmental. Now, when Jesus says, do not judge, we have to ask, what does he actually mean? Does he mean, do not judge ever? Do not make any judgments about anything at any time. Should we never have any opinions about right or wrong? Do we have nothing to say about Hitler, for example, or what's happening in North Korea or Ukraine? Or or, or what about uh, adultery or slavery? Or what about reality television or cats? Do we have nothing to say about that? Just kidding. It's okay. Of course, the answer is no. When Jesus says, do not judge, he does not mean do not ever judge about anything. And this is pretty clear, even just from this passage that we're looking at. All we have to do is jump down to verse 6, where Jesus calls some people dogs and pigs. Now, we'll look at this a little bit more in a a moment, but it's clear that some kind of negative judgment has taken place. Even a little bit later in, in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 15, Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. Jesus not only says that there are some people who are false teachers, he says that we actually need to be discerning about that. We need to be able to recognize that. This is going to require some kind of judgment. And this is true not just for false teaching within the church. This is also true for moral issues within the church. Let me give you an example from another part of the Bible. The church in the ancient city of Corinth had all kinds of problems. If you read through that letter, you'll see that there was disorder, there was division, there was greed, there was a lack of love. There was also, in one instance, a little bit too much love. There was sexual sin in the church. There was a man who we're told was sleeping with his mother or his uh, stepmother. It's not exactly clear from the context. Now, when the Apostle Paul hears about this situation, he doesn't just kind of say, well, I don't want to judge them. He actually says, no, you need to to discipline this man. You actually need to to remove him from the church. Not to destroy him, not to just discard him, but for the sake of his own soul and for the health of the church. And so clearly, when Jesus says, do not judge, he does not mean do not judge ever, do not criticize ever. It is interesting to note that in that very same chapter in 1 Corinthians, in in chapter 5, the Apostle Paul also shows us what our attitude should be towards unbelievers. You know, the man in the the church at Corinth, he claimed to be a Christian. He claimed to be, he was part of the church. But Paul says, and, and Paul says about this guy, discipline him. But when it comes to those outside the church, when it comes to those who are not Christians, Paul says we're to have a a different kind of approach. Look what he says there in chapter five, starting in verse nine. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all 
meaning the people of this world who are immoral. In that case, you would have to leave this world. You wouldn't be able to talk to anyone, he's basically saying. And he goes on, he says, What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. So do you see that there is a difference here? When it comes to those inside the church, those who claim to be followers of Jesus, we're to exercise loving judgment. We're to be discerning about false teaching. We're to be serious about the way that we live. But when it comes to those outside the church, Paul's saying it's not our job to sit in judgment. It's not our job to police the world. It's our job to speak good news to the world. It's our job to live faithfully for Jesus in the world. It's not our job to judge the world. That's God's job. We're not qualified. Here's the way that one pastor summarizes it. He says, Christians are to judge one another in loving ways and love unbelievers in non-judgmental ways. Let me say that again. Christians are to judge one another in loving ways and love unbelievers in non-judgmental ways. I think that summarizes the issue well. And so when Jesus says, do not judge, he clearly means do not ever judge. And the question is, what does he mean? And he shows us in verse 2. Look at what he goes on to say. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus is talking about the way that we exercise judgment. He's talking about our attitude towards others, the measure that we use with others. He's saying, yes, there'll be times when judgment will be necessary, but pay careful attention to the way that you do it. Don't be judgmental. Don't have a critical spirit. Don't be a fault finder. Jesus is not saying that we must be blind to the faults of others, but he is saying we must be generous with them. We must be gentle with them. Here's the way uh, an English bishop from the 1800s, J.C. Ryle, here's how he summarizes it. He says, what our Lord means to condemn is a censorious, which it means hypercritical. What he means to condemn is a hypercritical and fault-finding spirit. A readiness to blame others for, for trifling offenses, for small things or matters of indifference. A habit of passing rash and hasty judgments. A disposition to magnify the errors and infirmities of our neighbours and make worst of them. This is what our Lord forbids. Now let's be honest, this is what we also can get caught up in. This is what we can sometimes tend to do. We can be hypercritical. We can make rash and hasty judgments. We can be quick to blame. We can magnify others' mistakes. We can assume the worst about others. So, for example, if someone cuts us off in traffic, it's not, you know, in our minds because they must have been distracted by the kids or, or, or something like that. It's because they're a terrible driver and they deserve to be punished. 
if someone doesn't reply to our text message, it's not because maybe they got lots going on in life at the moment. It's because they hate us and they're a rude person. We're so quick to write off and to condemn. And listen, the person that cuts us off in traffic, they might be a terrible driver. The person that doesn't reply to our text message, they might be a rude person. But we shouldn't lead with that assumption. Jesus is saying we should be generous towards others. And Jesus actually gives us a reason why we should be very generous with other people. We should not assume the worst. We we should be careful about the way that we judge others. Look at what he says in verse 2. He says, from the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus is saying God will judge you according to the way that you judge others. Now, this is not a new concept in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has already said a few times that the way we treat other people, it actually shapes the way that God treats us. So, for example, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, those who show mercy to others, for they will be shown mercy. Jesus said in, in chapter 6, if you forgive others, God will forgive you. He said, if you don't forgive others, God will not forgive you. Now, why is this the case? Because let's be honest, it sounds kind of scary, doesn't it? It sounds almost as if our salvation depends on us. But of course, the, the, the logic is relatively simple. Jesus is saying our actions what we do, it will actually reveal our hearts. The way that we treat others will reveal whether God's work in our lives is is real and genuine, whether the gospel has really taken root in our hearts. I mean, if, if you say, I've received God's mercy in Christ, but you never show mercy to others, if you say, I've received God's forgiveness in Christ, but you refuse to forgive others, If you say, I have escaped God's judgment in Christ, but you always sit in judgment over others, it might reveal that the gospel hasn't really taken root. Think about it this way. If there are no apples on the branches of an apple tree, would you say that that's a healthy and genuine apple tree? Now, it might just be that that apple tree is is, is dormant or it's gone through a really difficult season. You know, that, that might be true. But after 10, 20, 30, 40 years, if there are no apples on the apple tree, you have to ask why. And what Jesus is saying here, he's saying a sign that you are growing in Christian maturity, a sign that you have truly grasped the gospel of God's grace. It's not actually that you become more strict and more demanding and more critical. It's actually that you become more humble and less critical and more compassionate and understanding. You don't judge others as quickly or as harshly. You use a generous measure with others because you know that God has used a generous measure with you. And so Jesus says, pay careful attention to the way you judge others because God will judge you according to the way you judge others. That's not the only reason Jesus gives, though. He also says in verses 3 to 5, pay careful attention to the way you judge others because you don't always see clearly. That's the point of the parable. 
that Jesus gives there in those verses. I won't kind of read all the the verses again, but basically you've got two men and each of them have an eye problem. One has a, a tiny speck of sawdust in his eye. The other has a plank coming out of his eye. It's, it's ridiculous, but it's pretty obvious which problem is the more pressing, isn't it? The guy with the plank coming out of his eye. But plank man doesn't recognize his problem because he's too focused on the speck in the other man's eye. It's a ridiculous scene, isn't it? But isn't this what we do? We magnify the sin of others and we minimize our own. We fixate on the faults of others and we kind of just forget about our own. We accuse others. I cannot believe they would do that. What were they thinking? And we excuse our own. You you don't know the whole story. It's just one time. It's not who I really am. And we do this in in, in lots of different ways. A a politician is caught lying and we think, oh, typical, disgusting. And yet maybe we've fudged our tax returns or lied to our spouse about something, or lied to our boss. Or maybe we, we see a, a believer who is wrestling with same-sex attraction, and we, we kind of look down on them. And yet maybe we're looking at pornography, or sleeping with our girlfriend, or whatever it might be. Maybe we see a believer who is very obviously wealthy, live in a nice suburb, they drive a nice car, and we just kind of assume that they're greedy. And yet, maybe we're not even being generous with our own money. We judge and accuse others and we pardon and excuse ourselves. To put it another way, we look at the sins of others through a magnifying glass and we look at ours through the wrong end of a telescope. And Jesus is saying, before we go around pointing the finger at others, before we use the magnifying glass on others, let's use the magnifying glass on ourselves. Let's examine our own hearts and our own lives. Effectively, Jesus is saying here, judge yourself first. Be critical of yourself first. Evaluate yourself first. Don't start with everyone else. Start with yourself. And the reason that this is so important, because it's only when we see ourselves clearly, it's only when we're honest about our own sin, which Jesus carried to the cross on our behalf, that we will become far less likely to be proud towards others and far more likely to be humble towards others. I've always loved uh, what C.S. Lewis writes in his book, Mere Christianity. He writes and he says, a proud man is always looking down on things and people, always criticizing others, always finding fault with others, always complaining about others, always judging others. And as Lewis goes on to say, and of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. The the grace of God to you in Jesus Christ. And this is the answer to judgmentalism. It's to be so painfully aware of your own sin, to, to see the depth of your own fallenness, but also at the same time to be gloriously aware of God's grace to you, to see the depth of God's love for you in Christ. Because though you deserve judgment, though I deserve judgment, Jesus Christ the judge was judged in my place. 
He received the punishment that I deserve to give me a gift that I have not earned. And when I gaze at the cross, how can I possibly walk away proud? And when this good news begins to flow into you, it will then begin to flow out of you into the way that you treat others. And so the Christian with a a judgmental attitude, the Christian who thinks their spiritual gift is criticism, the Christian who's always looking down on others, it could be that they've forgotten to look inwards at their own sinfulness and they've forgotten to look up to the God of grace above them and the grace of God to them. And the, the, the important thing about this is that it's only when we look in at our own sin and it's only when we look up at God's grace that we can actually become useful to others around us. That's kind of what Jesus goes on to say in verse 5. He says, you hypocrite. I love it. Jesus just tells it like it is. You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You see, Jesus is not saying that we never correct or help others. He's not saying that we never... Um, help others see themselves a bit more clearly. There's place for correction in the Christian life. We shouldn't ignore specs, whether they're our own or whether they're a, a brother or sisters. But the way that we seek to remove them matters. We shouldn't do it hypocritically. We shouldn't do it harshly. We shouldn't do it forcefully. We should do it gently and with love. After all, if you have a, a speck in your eye or someone else has a speck in their eye, how do you get rid of it? You don't use a hammer and a chisel. You don't get a crowbar and start to get that speck out. You get some saline solution, you get a soft cloth, you do it gently and you do it with love. And this is the point that Jesus is making. He's saying we need to approach others with humility and with love. That's the first thing that Jesus says to us here in this passage. He says, don't be judgmental. But then he goes on, and he goes on to warn us of the opposite error. And he says, don't be undiscerning. This is what he's getting at in verse 6. Let me read it for you. Jesus says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, that seems like quite the hard left turn. Do not judge. Oh, and some people over here are dogs and pigs. You know, it almost seems contradictory. But of course, it makes perfect sense. You see, Jesus has just warned us about the danger of judgmentalism, and now he's warning us about the opposite danger, the danger of being undiscerning. He's saying, on the one hand, don't be hypocritical and judgmental of others, but on the other hand, don't be naive or simplistic towards others either, because not everyone is going to welcome what you have to say. This is kind of the point of the the dogs and the, the pearls and the pigs. Jesus is saying that as Christians, we have been entrusted with something sacred. We've been entrusted with the pearl of great price. You know, the the parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 13, the the pearl represents the kingdom of God. We've been entrusted with the good news about Jesus, the message of the gospel, the most valuable thing in the world. And yet Jesus is saying not everyone is going to recognize it as valuable. Not everyone is going to receive it gratefully. In fact, some people will be downright hostile to it. 
Jesus says some people will act like animals towards it. I mean, think about it. If you tried to, you offered a pearl to a pig, what's it going to do? It's probably going to try to eat it. You know, it's just what pigs do. But it's not going to take long before it realizes it's, it's, it's hard and it's tasteless and it's not very digestible. If I spit it out, probably going to get angry, maybe even turn on you and say, why would you give me this? Give me slop. You know, give me something that I can eat. And Jesus is saying, this is how some people respond to the gospel. They don't recognize its value. They think to themselves, what good is it? What can it do for me? Can it make me rich? Can it get me a boyfriend? Can it get me a house? They don't see the value of what you're offering to them, and so they're indifferent, even hostile. Now, Jesus is obviously not saying that we should never then preach the gospel to unbelievers, to those who don't know Jesus. That's what he wants his followers to do. But he's warning us that sometimes the message won't be welcome. Sometimes the door will be very firmly shut. And there might even be occasions when it might be wise to walk away. Here's the way one commentator put it. He said, It is an irresponsible use of time and effort to continue to hammer on a door that is firmly closed. The disciples should push on a door, and if it is ajar, enter in. If it is firmly bolted, that is the indication to move on elsewhere. And this is kind of similar to what Jesus said to the disciples a bit later in Matthew. He said, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. Same thing the apostles did in in, in the book of Acts. We cannot force the gospel on people. Now, obviously, this is very tricky to navigate. Because truth be told, some of us used to mock and ridicule Christ. And there was someone in our life who kept knocking and didn't give up. And we're eternally grateful that they didn't. And so we're going to need wisdom to to navigate this, when to persist, when to walk away. We're also going to need help from above. I mean, this is tricky, isn't it? To navigate our relationships, to not be judgmental, to, to be understanding and compassionate, to be wise in the way that we engage with the world. It's hard. And this is why I think Jesus goes where he does next. He said to us, don't be judgmental, don't be undiscerning. And then finally he says, and always ask for help. I won't read all the verses again, but but this is basically what Jesus says. He says, ask for God's help in all of this. Verse seven, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Jesus is saying, you are not on your own. God is ready and willing to help you. In fact, he's probably more willing to help you than you even are to ask. He wants to help you in all of this, so ask him. In fact, the the tense of those verbs, ask, seek, knock, it actually literally means keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Don't give up. It's not that if you kind of just persist and annoy God long enough, then he'll eventually give you whatever you're asking for. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying that God will just give us everything and and anything that we ask for. I mean, we know this to be true from our own experience, don't we? And we know this to be true from what Jesus says here. He doesn't say that we, you know, he says we're praying to our Father in heaven, not our genie in a bottle. God's not just going to grant us our wishes, but he will respond to our requests 
And Jesus says he'll actually give us what is good. He'll give us good gifts, he says in verse 11. Now, I've got three young kids, and I love them with all my heart, and they ask me for things all the time. Can I have a lolly? Can I watch TV? Can we go to McDonald's? Can I watch TV? Again and again. Now, I don't always say yes to them. In fact, I often say no. Not because I don't love them, but because I do. And I want what is best for them. And lollies and TV and McDonald's, it's not always going to be the best for them. And Jesus says in verse 11, I'm a sinful father. I'm not perfect like our Father in heaven. So how much more will he do and give what is good? Now maybe you're thinking, really? How can I know that God gives what is good? Because if I'm honest, there have been things in my life which I wouldn't say are very good. There's been things happen in my life which, which I don't even understand. And the ultimate reason that we can know this is true, that God is good and he gives what is good, it's because God has given his very self. God has given his only son. And when we receive things in life, when things happen in life which we don't understand, which we don't recognize as good, and we wonder, does God really care? When we face those moments of doubt, the only place we can turn is to look into the face of the Lord Jesus. To look at the gift of God's only Son. And to remember the words of Romans 8, verse 32. It says, He, God in heaven, who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things. In other words, God has given us the greatest gift that he has to give. There is nothing better or more glorious that God could give us than Jesus. And it proves to us once and for all that even though we experience these things in life which we don't recognize as good, we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is good and he will finally and ultimately do what is good. And because we belong to a God who gives good things, because we belong to a God who's given his very self, we are to be a people who gives good things to others. And, and this is what Jesus actually says, is the, the message of the whole Bible. Look what he says there in verse 12. It's how he ends. He says, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. This sums up the whole message of the Bible. Do you know the God who gives good things? The God who has given his very son for you. As you come to know this God more and more, it will lead you to not be judgmental, to not be undiscerning, and to always ask for his help. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are good and you do what is good. 
Thank you for these truths in your word, which are challenging, which press on us, but are ultimately for our good, to change and shape us and make us more like the Lord Jesus. And Lord, thank you for the greatest gift that you have to give, the gift of Jesus. When we face those moments of doubt, help us to turn to the face and look into the face of the Lord Jesus. The one, the judge of all things, who was judged in our place so that we might stand before you forgiven and accepted. And Lord, as we gaze upon that truth, we ask that it would flow out of us in the way that we treat others. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.